Morning Liberty. Well, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Thank you for being here today. By the way, by the way, I had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you did too. Had fun with all the family, just all the family stuff. And so I hope you guys are recovering just like I am as an introvert after you have a couple weeks worth of time around a bunch of people you then need to uh, recover from uh, talking for a long time. So what am I doing to recover? I'm coming back and I'm talking to people all day. But today's a really cool conversation. I talked to Elijah Gullett. There's this cool cool story in freetopeople.com. You know that we're always hoping that one of these major duopoly political parties are going to do the right thing, right? You know, we don't always get our hopes up, but it would be really nice. Well, he had a cool piece in Free the People, talking about how Republicans can become the party of civil liberties again. Maybe we can try and back off on some of this uh, merging of corporate and state powers, public and private, especially when it comes to the realm of free speech. So that was cool. And I also want to let you guys know, Elijah, let it slip that it was once a Bernie Sanders supporter, progressive. And uh, as you know, you have plenty of historical evidence that this is the case. I couldn't let that one go. I had to dig in and figure out what exactly it was that happened to create that change. So we have yet again uh, another example and hopefully some things that we can learn from someone. Because, listen, I know I'm kind of rambling on before this interview, but whatever it is that people change from, say, progressive to classically liberal, we got to pinpoint how that happens. That's the only true, peaceful, real way uh, that we fix all of these problems. So it's pretty important when we do find people uh, that we can, like I say later, bottle that up and replicate that and figure out how we can spread that all around the world. All right, let's get to the interview with Elijah. Yeah, um, once again, thank you for having me on. My name's Eli Gullett. Um, I am a contributor with Young Voices and the branch leader for American Conservation Coalition's Raleigh-Durham chapter. I actually didn't realize you were with the American Conservation uh, Coalition. We've, uh, I believe, talked to them before and really love what they what they do. So that's great. I'm just making a note of that while we're, <laughs> while we're talking about this. We're mainly here today talking about this recent article you have published with Free to People. And we've spoken a, a bit about that piece from The Intercept and the DHS leaks and all that with a couple others. And you took a similar approach, but also talking about how Republicans, they really have an opening here to get back to being the party of civil liberties. So why don't you explain what you mean by that to everyone? Yeah, so as I think a lot of your listeners are well aware of, um, The Intercept recently published a massive report describing how the Department of Homeland Security and the Biden administration, as well as previous uh, administrations, have been pulling levers behind the scenes to uh, shape the kinds of conversations we can have and um, kind of strong arm their way into online speech issues. Uh, and this take that I had was mostly focused around the election and how I think a lot of the failures of the Republican Party that we saw um, after the midterms, uh, you know, I think it was that they got caught up in kind of niche issues that don't really affect a lot of regular people and they don't really speak to American values, they don't speak to these core issues that I think a lot of Americans care about. And I think this is one way that they could have really broken into the scene 
and pointed out the deep injustices that occurred because of the DHS and the Biden administration's policies on this. You know, this is one way that they could have positioned themselves in opposition to the authoritarianism that we're seeing coming out of, you know, people in the Department of Homeland Security as well as the Biden administration. Um, and I think it's really disappointing. And I think part of, and it was, you know, I think it's this type of issue that kind of speaks to why the Republican Party underperformed as much as we saw. I completely agree with that. I think they've really lost the plot uh, and, you know, they've they've attacked so many of these smaller issues that I, I don't even know what the Republican Party is or who they what they stand for anymore, to tell you the truth. So you're speaking to me uh, right there for sure. Why don't you before we dig into this anymore, it's always good to know what kind of perspective people are coming from. So what kind of political ideology are you coming from, if you don't mind me asking? And has that always been the way that you've, uh, you know, been politically or has there been a change? Yeah, so I think definitely in high school, <laughs> I was definitely more of like a progressive. I think as I just gained some more experience both on campus and with campus free speech issues, as well as uh, policy issues, I definitely shifted more into the classical liberal world. That's where I've, you know, found my home politically over the past few years. Um, and I think this is one area where I've definitely felt a strong civil libertarian position um, on the importance of free speech and the importance of the government staying out of the way of content moderation. So was it just the free speech issue that kind of made that that switch from progressive in high school to more classical liberal? Was there was there anything else or this mainly a free speech thing? I think the other big issue for me, and this comes up in my work in conservation that we mentioned before, as well as my other work on housing and urban policy stuff, was seeing how many unintended consequences come from government regulation. I think just seeing that come out in the way that we do zoning laws in cities and the way that these well-meaning environmental policies often have these uh, negative outcomes for the environment or create sort of crony capitalist outcomes where it's just, you know, the biggest guy in the market can uh, use regulations to his own benefit uh, to keep out his competition. Uh, I saw this stuff happen over and over again during my time in college when I was studying public policy and urban planning. And I think it really shaped my views on politics in general and maybe much more skeptical of government interference in general and regulations. So if you don't mind, I'm going to I'm going to pry just a little bit more. And I did this with the last person who said that they were more progressive and they shifted more towards classical liberal. So I, I just so you know, I find this really interesting because whatever happened needs to be bottled up and replicated a whole lot of times. And so I always dig deeper and deeper into this so we can figure out what it was that happened. So one thing I guess I'm wondering is you say you were progressive in high school in, in what way would you say you were? And then could you identify us? I guess once we figure out what, what way you were progressive, could you identify what it was specifically when you were like, okay, maybe what I thought right now is wrong and maybe I'll be open to this other opinion. Yeah, and high school is very much of the Bernie Sanders sort of uh, mm -hmm. flavor of progressive. Um, some of my core political memories when I was first getting engaged were things like the Edward Snowden case and the Chelsea Manning cases that dealt deeply with civil liberties issues that I cared a lot about, about even back then. Um, but at the same time, so I cared a lot about the civil liberties. I saw a lot of people on the progressive left who also cared about these issues and were really vocal about it, including people like Bernie Sanders. And I think on top of that, I cared just generally a lot about just broad justice. I cared a lot about inequality and poverty, and I wanted to see solutions to these problems. And I think 
the natural first answer you come to is, oh, the government should do this, right? You know, you first think about it, it's like, well, why doesn't the government just give people money? You know, we could just do a UBI and have this type of system. Why doesn't the government just give out healthcare? Um, and, you know, I, I think that made sense at the time for me when I was very early into my, you know, political education in many ways. But I think as I grew a little further into it, I think I think one key I have for how to replicate this is take an issue that progressives really care about. And for me, that was housing affordability at the time when I was in college. It was a topic I was studying in public policy. I was doing uh, policy analysis on it in uh, my classrooms. And it was, a, you know, something, and it was something I was feeling uh, at a personal level as a student who was facing really high rents at a really um, expensive college town. Um, and you take that issue and then you explain how the government most of the time makes this worse. And that simply adding new laws and regulations is not actually going to fix this. In the case of housing, adding rent control doesn't actually solve the underlying uh, problem of housing costs. And in fact, often makes it worse by creating these really perverse incentives. And the problems we have with housing in the United States, and sorry to go on this tangent, but it's something oh, I care a lot about is we just have a lot of regulations that make it almost impossible to build anything in this country, especially in the cities people want to live in the most. And I think that was the, one of the core messages that I was like, oh, it kind of all clicked for me that like, actually, sometimes the government isn't the answer. And I think that was a an answer that a lot of, uh, I think, traditional public policy and political education in colleges sometimes um, understates or misses. But it was something I was able to come to in my own terms through my own personal study and my own classroom assignments. So. Well, so one good thing, and this is a common thing that I hear, you were someone who was curious about finding the truth. You were skeptical about whatever it seems like, whatever the main narrative was, even though for a bit you were kind of going with the main narrative, but you were always open to potentially being wrong or there being an alternative option out there. And what you just cared about was actually getting down to the truth and figuring out what it was. Uh, so that's a that's a common thing i've heard unfortunately i'm not sure how to replicate that personality type in people it seems to be a lot of people who are skeptical or who are trying to find the truth or who are open to all the ideas and i'm not sure how to how to make that happen i don't think that's i don't know if that's possible you got any ideas on how to make that possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know it's a it's a tough problem and it's like you can throw individual cases at people and it still won't make them expand this idea further right mm -hmm. like i said i was always a civil libertarian at some level and even then i was not making those connections between i don't want the government involved in this way and then not making the connection i still don't want the government involved in this other part you know i think maybe one one good thing and i'm sorry we've gone like way off from where we were going <laughs> to talk about this sorry to just throw that at you today i did this to the last person that told me that they were progressive and and uh, them were a classical liberal and we ended up spending the whole time talking about it because i'm so interested in in how this process happens one thing um that i think uh, is really good is that when we talk online say we talk on twitter we seem to be we're very very combative and we kind of just go out and tell people that they're wrong or that they're idiots or we say whatever the meanest thing that we can think of and of course i've never done a thing like that before you know but everyone else they do that and one of the really good ways is that you find common ground and you say, we both agree that this is a problem. And for you, you knew that housing affordability is a problem and you dug into how to actually solve that problem and what was actually causing that to be a problem. Now, someone would have just came to you and said, hey, uh, you're an idiot for thinking the way that you think about this. Housing's just fine. If you can't afford it, then get a better job. Stop working at McDonald's. And then that's it. 
Well, maybe that's not the best way to uh, get you to someday be a classical liberal. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't um, really I a think question, I'm, just me <laughs> talking. No, I think it's a loud. good case, and I think it's partially why, especially on these pover- issues related to poverty and economic insecurity or high cost of living issues. Sometimes I think people on the right and in libertarian circles can come across as very like harsh or like they don't or like cold. Um, but I actually think part of the reason I am, I have the position I am is because I do care. And I think unfortunately these progressive solutions actually provide much worse outcomes in the long term. And I care a lot that we have the right kinds of solutions that, you know, are actually going <laughs> to yeah. create the kind of prosperity we want to see in the world. Like so could actually solve the problem. Yeah, that that's a yep. great idea. Well, let's get on. Let's get back to solving this problem of the government encroaching on our free speech. Now, I have I tend to think that these companies, people get really upset with big tech and they say that they're colluding with the government. I understand that they've agreed to do some things. I also don't blame this all on them because there is this looming threat of say antitrust or the government takes all this money they're doling out contracts stuff like that and it's not as it's not as easy as people make it seem right definitely and i think one thing that came out of me doing the research for this report and writing this out was i don't think i think this type of issue really brings to the front like the problems with regulation and how difficult this is to parse uh, especially based on our traditional sort of partisan lines because uh, we have these instincts right based on our own experiences and our own ideologies and i think in this case um there's this problem where like yes it is both that these companies are seeking their own self-interest through the government while the government is also seeking their own self-interest and their own you know sort of desire to suppress speech that they find um, distasteful um, through these companies and that it isn't just this one-way street. And at the same time, that does not then justify further regulation on these companies. And in fact, I think regulation is what invites this type of uh, almost uh, vicious cycle that we see, this almost, you know, this deeply uh, quid pro quo quo, uh, type of system that we're seeing. This podcast is sponsored by better help. Now, I sometimes wish that life did have some type of a user manual. Some of the stuff we've been talking about today, it'd be real nice to just know everything, right? I have needed that a lot in the past. We don't get it. Just kind of have to figure it out. You got to make the best decisions that you possibly can and just hope that everything plays out okay. You could be going through a career change, relationships. It's the holidays right now. You're dealing with families and friends. You could be a new parent, you know? You just feel pretty stuck in your life. We don't have the manual, but we do have better help. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling, help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions. I have done therapy before. Some of the best life changes I've made came from uh, the time that I was talking to a therapist about things. It was tough when I did it, but I'm really glad that I did it. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com GML. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com 
slash GML. Yeah, it's an interesting system because uh, a lot of times what I'll see people on the left say is that it's actually the businesses that came in and bought off the control in the government and they've actually corrupted the government and created what we have right now. And then uh, people like libertarians like myself will say, well, it's actually the power that the government had. And of course, the businesses then came in and tried to buy that power. Who who wouldn't try to come in and take control of that? So we got a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario. And uh, rather than controlling the company and saying that they can't do a certain thing, maybe we control what we are supposed to control, which is what the government does, and uh, stop them from having the power over the businesses, right? Definitely. And I think in the article, that's definitely where it came down to, that it really is the job of Congress here to actually do its job instead of passing the buck off to these executive unelected bureaucrats and administrative organizations like the Department of Homeland Security. And instead actually start stepping in and saying, you can't do this with your power. You, We have never authorized this type of power to you. Um, you need to stop doing this and allow for some oversight right from the people we've actually elected to do this and i don't think that's going to come down to solutions we always love but it is definitely a step in the right direction now my fear in this scenario is that republicans instead of reducing the power and decoupling the public and private uh, that actually they'll just be more interested in being the people in control of that power and maintaining mm -hmm. that power as we've seen i hope i'm wrong about that uh, but do you think that's going to be the case? I think I've been really disturbed by some of the moves on the Republican Party on this front. We've seen some interest in starting to write and trying to regulate uh, companies and that they consider to be quote unquote woke or mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we see this from Ron DeSantis. Uh, and we've also seen this from folks like Josh Hawley, uh, who want to really step in and start regulating the way companies do speech regulation. And I think this is really short sighted, even for their own set of interests and their own set of issues they care about this is really short-sighted and the reality is you know sort of the median bureaucrat in the government is much more like elizabeth warren than it is like josh hawley or even mitch mcconnell right yeah. once you hand these powers off to anyone in government to do this you can't control what they're going to do in a few years and it could likely swing in a direction you're not going to like once you give and authorize that type of power to a government organization. And so I actually think it is much more in their own interests to completely restrict the powers of the DHS in this regard than it is to simply expand them, but in a way that they happen to like. Yeah, uh, we know that this can go the wrong way because we're really dealing with consequences of the Patriot Act still right now, which uh, Republicans clearly were in favor of. And now they're upset about a lot of things that just stem from powers that came from the Patriot Act at the moment. So. Uh, that's that's a big issue. I like that you mentioned the Ron DeSantis thing. We were one of the, I think, few more libertarian slash right-leaning places that were upset about the way he was treating Disney with their special uh, district that they have. And we got uh, a lot of a lot of hate comments on right-wing TikTok because we were talking about how I thought it was ridiculous for DeSantis to be taking away their uh, the, the Reedy, Key, Reedy Creek Improvement District or whatever it was they were talking about attacking. Um, that's, I, I don't like that kind of thing because I don't, I, I don't think that they would like it if someone on the left were doing the same thing to someone with the alternative viewpoint. And so we're not setting up the right principle here. We're just keeping this circle the cycle going of they did it, so I'm going to do it, and I did it because they did it, and then we just never stop, right? 
Yeah, definitely. I think in the case of Disney, it's it's a little it's tricky because I think in the case of Disney, for like decades they have been extracting what they want for government from government, mm-hmm. and especially the state of Florida. So on the one hand, I'm actually like kind of fine <laughs> with them getting rid of some of the special privileges that Disney has received for years. I just hate the way that it was gone that it, they went about it by using. I don't like own, the like, reason social- that they did it. They were yes. they were fine with that beforehand. Now. As someone who my answer to, uh, you know, should the government take this from a company or whatever, like my answer is always no, like, I don't think they should ever do that. So, um, you know, if they were getting around taxes or whatever, uh, I was okay with that. I think we should all have our own little special improvement districts uh, around our houses. You know, that would be fine with me. So maybe we're a little bit different on that, but it was the reason that they decided to come in and do it. I don't think that that's uh, a good precedent to set. And I don't want to see decisions made like that going forward. Uh, now, other things as we're talking about the Republican Party, we're talking about the free speech issue. Are there other, do you see them getting any better on other civil liberties? Because the title of the article is that they could become the party of civil liberties. And I, maybe they could do better on the free speech thing. What about other stuff that they could do a better job at? Yeah, I think it's interesting that after the election of Donald Trump and the uh, things that followed all of that, (laughs) the many uh, chaotic and crazy things that have occurred. I think there has been an increased realization among those on the right that there has been a lot of really unwieldy power held by the U.S. government for decades. Um, You've seen this from the calls to defund the FBI after the FBI raided uh, Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Uh, We've seen this in regards to questions to how the police and courts behaved in light of January 6th. Now, once again, I think the reasons they have for (laughs) wanting to do Mm -hmm. these things are suspect at best in many ways. But I do think it's actually interesting and can be a useful thing for people interested in liberty, people in the liberty movement to really wield, right? To say, if you care about these issues, you should also care about all these other cases. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when it's not your people in power, they will they will always have the ability to use it against you. And you should see this as an opportunity to generally, you know, uh, shrink, shrink the size and the scope of government and reduce its authorities over your own lives and your own personal lives. Um, to- and totally these are things agree. that people, oh, what were you say? I'm sorry. I was going to say totally agree. Once again, the same things you said, I, uh, I like that they're calling the, to defund the FBI, but the, I wish it were on the principle that m- maybe we don't need a body that has this much power, this much, uh, ability to spy on people or maybe, uh, use their political will to do whatever they want. Not just because they, uh, went after Donald Trump. That's, yeah. it's not the right reason once again but maybe we could take the outcome of it. I don't know. I guess that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. And I actually think it's, I think it's very in the vein of the Liberty movement over the decades to, you know, sort of squeeze in where we can, <laughs> you know, as much as we disagree with both Democrats and Republicans all the time to see these opportunities, abilities to reach across the aisle and find places of common ground, like we talked about before, um, and try to make some small progress where we can in the, in the um, direction of more Liberty. Yeah, I think I think we can. And you could say other stuff like uh, drug decriminalization and maybe someone on the progressive left will say, well, it's because it disproportionately affects uh, certain groups. And that's an argument. And maybe they go with that argument. And I could say, yeah, that's true. Also, you should just be able to do whatever you want because you're a human being if you're not hurting other people. And so I'm kind of annoyed that that's not the reason that you're giving me right now for doing this. But let's do it. 
that, sure, I guess we still get the right outcome. And so I guess that's the idea I should have with this uh, FBI thing also. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's a little difficult when the Liberty Movement doesn't really have that many people in elected <laughs> positions of power. So you take what you get, I guess, and try to move the needle. Yeah, and if you don't uh, mind, real quick, I want to make sure we mention the American Conservation Coalition. And uh, I know you're not really here speaking for them uh, right now, but if you could tell us a little bit about what they do, we've done a couple episodes uh, with, I'm going to forget people's names that we talked to, uh, but it's one of the things I really like because I like using the free market to try and fix some of these environmental problems and not so much just the hammer of the government to uh, waste my money on things that might not ever work and destroy the economy in the process. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the uh, American Conservation Coalition is doing. Yep. So the American Conservation Coalition is like a youth-led grassroots movement for free market and uh, conservative principles and environmental policymaking. Um, They do a lot of work to push specifically Republican policymakers and lawmakers in favor of more uh, environmentally friendly legislation that also meets free market and conservative principles. Um, We focus a lot on uh, technological and private sector innovation to solve these problems. We focus a lot on clean energy and reducing the kinds of regulatory burdens that exist. Uh, Right now, a lot of our focus has been on the much reported on uh, Joe Manchin permitting reform deal that's kind of died, but I think it has really borne out a lot of interest in the idea of permitting reform, which would al- make it a lot easier for clean energy product projects to get off the ground and get through a lot of the red tape that exists. Uh, we also focus a lot on how individuals can positively impact their environment through tree plantings and cleaning up your local neighborhood and getting connected to nature. So we do a lot of hikes and uh, cleanup sessions. That's right. Last time we had someone on, we talked about what plant I need to put in my house to try and clean up some of the carbon in there. I can't remember what it was now, but um, I'll have to go back to the episode and figure it out. <laughs> so we'll figure we'll figure that out. No, this is another example of um, if you were to come at the argument, uh, climate change doesn't exist. This is a hoax uh, just so people can control us and destroy the economy. And uh, so the liberal elites, the one world government can take over the world. Well, maybe we're not going to be able to work together on any type of environmental policy after that. But if you say, okay, not a great idea to uh, take carbon and put it up into the atmosphere at the really, really high rates. I think maybe we should find ways to not do that because as we throw off the balance of the gases, stuff could happen. I don't know. It just seems like that could happen, right? And so why don't we just find ways to do less of that? And uh, we we actually use the market to drive innovation to to solve this problem and not the government because as we know, the government pretty bad at basically everything that they do. And in my opinion, I don't know about you, I'm just speaking for myself right now. So I really like what what they're doing. I'm going to make sure I put links. Tell everyone where they can go to keep up with you, what you're doing, and more future articles. You can find me at Market Urbanists with an S at the end on Twitter.com. You can also find my Substack where I occasionally publish my own um, self-published articles at youngurbanist.substack.com. That's young with a U instead of an O-U. Um, those are the best two places to find me. So, All right, great. I'm going to put that on there. Eli, thank you so much for your time today. I'm glad that we went into the uh, the switch from progressive into into 
classical liberalism thing today because uh, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. And you're welcome back anytime. You get another uh, another piece out there. If you got something specific you want to come talk about, let me know, and we'll have you back on. Thank you so much for having me. This is great.